The Plant, A Steampunk Story, by Francis Rosenfeld. Chapter 5. Jack's plan was presented and analyzed for potential risks and flaws during the following week, over a few milkshakes at Jack and Richard's favorite hangout spot, and it was supposed to go like this. The boys were going to tell their parents they had volunteered at school to reorganize the supplies in the art studio. Since most parents had complained repeatedly about the mess their kids generated in art class, mess that always seemed to follow them back home, this was a very plausible reason to get out of the house, sure to meet with no resistance whatsoever. They would then proceed to school, where they would enter through the front door while being very noisy, making sure to attract the attention of at least a couple of credible witnesses. They would then go out through the back, take the long way through the woods, which would take twice as long, increasing the risk of them getting caught, but it was an inevitable necessity, and arrive to the lab, also at the back of the building. Here the plan hit a snag, because Richard insisted they should have a valid explanation as of why they were there, just in case they ran into somebody they knew, and Jack had to concede him this additional security measure, even though he felt that Richard was being ridiculous. After long deliberations and creative brainstorming, they came up with a reason, Richard was waiting for a parcel which he was supposed to pick up at the post office and he figured they could say that he suddenly remembered that, went to pick it up and got lost. Jack was supposedly going with him to keep him company so his friend wouldn't have to walk there all by himself. Granted, since they both grew up in that town and could walk anywhere backwards and blindfolded without getting disoriented, this scenario had some flaws, but they moved on with the planning, anyway, figuring out they would perfect the details later. Once arrived at the lab, Jack would climb through a window to get in. Here they stopped to figure out how were they going to ensure the window would be open, and after realizing that none of them could sneak around the place during the week without looking suspicious, they abandoned the idea. This left them with option two, that involved picking the lock on the back door. At this point, Richard went in full retreat mode, threatening to leave immediately and abandon this insane plan altogether. And then, in a brilliant moment, fueled by despair, Jack came up with option number three, they were going to climb the fire escape to the roof, enter through the roof hatch, which, even if it was locked, at least wouldn't put them in full view of every passerby as they were trying to open it, and then, through the exit stairs and down to the first floor, where the lab was. The big day arrived, and the two executed the plan perfectly to the last detail, descending upon the empty laboratory via roof access, like two Santa Peter Pan hybrids fitted with notepads and sharp pencils. It took them a while to find the filing cabinet where the report, still a work in progress, was kept, but they found it eventually. It seemed to be almost finished. Richard started copying it feverishly, getting down as much as he could, undaunted by terms like metal-enabled biopolymer and redox proteins. Jack was on the lookout, and during a brief moment when he took his eyes off the window, he noticed a tiny blinking light that seemed to come from under the very desk Richard was sitting at, diligently copying the report. It took Jack a second to process what the light could possibly mean, and then he jumped to his feet in a panic. Dude. We triggered the silent alarm, the police are going to be here any moment. Drop everything and run, he said, simultaneously opening the window and jumping out, as police sirens were blaring close by in the neighborhood. Richard grabbed his notepad and jumped quickly after him, making a promise to himself to strangle Jack later, if and when they reached safety again, and fumbled so much to get out of that window that he almost got noticed by an elderly lady who was making her way to the grocery store. The boys didn't stop to watch as the officers pointed to the open window and canvassed the area for suspects, they never stopped running until they reached the woods, from where they walked as fast as they could, back to school. Even the best laid plans succumbed to the cruelty of fate. How unfortunate of Richard to have forgotten his packed lunch that day. 
His mother had prepared it for him to make sure the boy didn't starve as he volunteered his effort for the benefit of his peers. She followed her son to school about half an hour later and searched the premises from top to bottom to find the boys. When she realized her search was in vain, she went back home to get Richard's father and now they were both waiting inside the art studio in a panic, trying to build up the courage to report the boys as missing. When Richard and Jack arrived, flushed and sweaty from all that running, Carol was so relieved to see both of them were okay that she didn't even think of scolding her son. Tom, on the other hand, regained his wits immediately, told Jack to go home and informed Richard that he will be grounded indefinitely and also owe his parents an explanation for his sneaking around behind their back. Richard fumed silently all the way home, walking behind his livid parents and feeling an irrepressible urge to kick himself for being so stupid. Why did he ever listen to Jack? He just knew this would end badly, it always did. Not as badly as it could have, but still. What on earth was he thinking? They could have gotten caught, there were at least six police officers at the scene. If he thought his current situation was bad, try picturing his dad picking him up from the county jail. He shuddered. Upon arriving home, after a brief interrogation that yielded too much vagueness for his father to bear, he was sent to his room without supper and told not to get out for anything other than school or chores. The silver lining around this black cloud of dreary luck was that being sent to his room finally allowed Richard to experience some peace and quiet, very welcome under the circumstances and gave him time to think through the research he had brought from the lab. But the peace and quiet was short-lived, broken as it was, by a familiar rap on the window. That can't be. Richard thought, outraged. No fair providence would allow this. He looked out the window to see Jack wave from the large tree in front of his window. Dude, you haven't the faintest how much I hate you right now. How are you even out? Richard exploded, furiously. I climbed out the window, Jack said, matter of fact. Listen, are you hungry? He had anticipated Richard's being sent to his room without supper and brought with him a cheese sandwich, which he threw at his friend through the open window. Sorry, that's all I could put together on short notice. Can I come in? No. Richard protested, terrified of what his dad would do if he found Jack there, but by the time he finished his thought, Jack had clambered his way up the window and made himself comfortable on the built-in bench in front of it. So, what did you find out, he asked, his eyes shining with curiosity. Richard pondered the pros and cons of giving Jack a piece of his mind about this determined effort to sink him even deeper into trouble when he was already swimming up to his neck in it and decided that it wasn't worth the trouble since he never knew Jack to give a rat's about personal responsibility. He realized that the sooner he filled in his friend on the details he wanted to know, the sooner the fiend was likely to get the heck out of there. Not much, Richard replied. I could probably figure things out a lot faster if I wasn't locked up in this room. Guess whose fault that is, he raised his voice and lowered it immediately, because if somebody heard him, they would come in and he would be in a lot of trouble. Just tell Jack what you need, I'll do my best for you, my friend. Jack smiled, completely unaffected by their current situation. How are you going to get me anything if you can't be seen anywhere? We're dead in the water and I told you so before we even acted on this moronic idea of yours. Richard hissed at him. Richard, my man, I told you you were boring. Live your dream, follow your destiny, let Jack figure out the details, he patted his friend on the back with a patronizing but warm gesture. You're the snake stir. Own it. Be proud. Don't chicken out on me, he got up, sure of himself, while giving his friend this quick pep talk. Now I have to go, dude. 
If my mom figures out I'm not in my room, I'll be in a world of hurt. So much for being footloose and fancy free, Richard thought, as he watched his friend go out the same way he had come in. I'll bring you a few of those books you were researching at the library last week, maybe they'll help. Make me a list. After Jack left, Richard went back over his two principal goals, putting together a believable scenario to justify their absence and finally getting to understand the cause for his predicament the intruder plant. As a reality check on what was the order of priority between an important and an urgent activity, he spent quite a lot of time on problem number one first, whose consequences he was going to face any moment now. He eventually decided that confessing to a lesser crime, say, sneaking out with Jack to go watch the racetracks, an activity his father strongly disapproved of, would engender sufficient outrage to mask the unavoidable flaws in the narrative, but not engender too harsh of a punishment. With the shadow of problem number one safely behind him, he turned to problem number two. He pored over whatever he had managed to copy from the report, plagued by his limited knowledge of chemistry and biology, and his eyes glazed over when he read the research that explained the transgenic mutation that kickstarted the plant's production of scleroprotein, which, in the presence of heat and pressure, allowed the keratin-similar biopolymer to free its sulfur bonds and participate in an exogenous reaction with the iron in the pipes. The resulting metal-enabled biopolymer coated the surface of the plant by trapping titanium alloy platelets between its modified protein layers in the same way nacre forms, but malleable and elastic, endowing the superplant with both superior strength and great flexibility, and an ability to conduct electric current that changed with temperature and pressure. Done. Richard thought. The thing really is made out of steel cable. No wonder I couldn't cut the scary plant with shears. He looked around the room to find the pair of pants with the leaf in them, only to notice that his mother had already washed them and placed them neatly back in his closet. There were days when he wished she wasn't so thorough. His head was spinning from all the details and he wondered, since the report seemed to be pretty clear with respect to what they were looking at, if the scientists at the lab weren't a bit reluctant to break the story of the mutant titanium alloy plantilla to the good people of their town. At the same time he felt a little sad for Jack, because, alas, his alien conspiracy theory didn't seem to pan out. The thought of a hybrid that blended a living thing with inorganic matter, metal, no less, was so fascinating to Richard that he almost forgot he was grounded for a length of time still to be determined, that he almost got caught by the police while breaking and entering and that the subject of his love at first sight, the extraordinary metal plant, was growing like kudzu vine at that very moment swallowing whatever portion of the distribution manifold had been lucky enough to remain untouched. An hour later, his mother, who couldn't bear the thought of her child going hungry, sent Diane to his room with dinner and the message that he wasn't supposed to use as being grounded as an excuse to skip brushing his teeth, trimming his nails and cleaning his room. His sister took the opportunity to give him an earful, touching upon all the things he missed as he was cooped up that afternoon. Everyone spoke of nothing but what happened at the factory anymore, it seemed there were no subjects of conversation for the dinner table other than that stupid plant. Apparently it had grown larger, big surprise. The factory was expected to get a result from the lab sometime next week, and everyone was waiting for it in order to decide on a course of action going further. Their motor's efficiency had gone up again, and the output grew by half. Dad said people were worried about the engines being overworked until somebody pointed out that most of the extra energy came from the heat recovery cycle. Mom had made her favorite, glazed peas, and Stacy got A-B in math, which was considered unacceptable by both parents. Oh, yes, and she, Diane, got a boyfriend. And he was so cute. The next half hour was dedicated to Diane's new boyfriend's qualities, likes and dislikes, pets and hobbies. 
and Dad finally agreed to let the kids get a new puppy. Diane was sorry that he got grounded and promised to bring him his portion of ice cream a little later. She commented on one of his posters, which she found weird, and then she remembered she had an essay to finish in English Lit. It wasn't her favorite subject, and these took hours and hours, so she groaned, picked up the empty dinner plate and left the room. After Diane's departure, the house turned very quiet, allowing the sounds of nature to come through the open window. After a few brushes of wind rustled the trees, rain started, steadily rapping on the roof, like a song of the night. 